And welcome to the Roundtable. Bill Priestley here with you. And we've had three circuit courts try to decide the matter of whether or not a broker is liable in a catastrophic accident uh, taken on by a carrier and makes just muddies the waters. And are we headed to a Supreme Court battle? Joining us to talk about it, Brendan Weissman, joining us, the CEO of Truck Safe up in Greenfield, Indiana, and Matt Leffler, the armchair attorney, also joining us from Chicago, Illinois. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. We've got three circuits two of which on one side, one of which on the other, obviously outlining a possible, uh, basically straight path to the Supreme Court on this idea. Um, first off, just Matt, real quick, kind of an overview of the situation in terms of how we got here with the 7th, the 9th, and the 11th. Well, at a high level, the question is, who's responsible when something goes catastrophically wrong? Generally speaking, brokers are not responsible for the actions of their motor carriers. That's been the law for a long time. But more recently, we've seen trends where brokers are being sued for when these things happen. The general theory behind this is negligent hiring. You got a motor carrier who was unsafe, and you should have known that because you didn't know that you should be on the hook. And this has been the dispute for a couple of years now. And we've seen circuits come out with different results. The idea behind this is, is there federal regulation that preempts someone to sue on a negligence claim uh, against a broker. And that's at F4A preemption. And that's the real fight that we're seeing today. Now there is this disparity among the circuits, and that means likely SCOTUS may take a closer look at this thing. So, Brandon, looking at F4A, what does that do to make a broker not liable uh, in a case where you have a catastrophic injury? It's that uh, have, have held that F4A steps in and preempts those types of cases, those courts will say that that federal law expressly preempts any state laws, including state negligence claims brought under state tort law, for example. Uh, that federal law preempts those types of lawsuits because they are related to a broker's services. So the F4A law pre, uh, broadly preempts states from enacting or enforcing any law that uh, relates to the rates, routes, or services of motor carriers. This is a law that we've seen over the years be be used as a defense in several different types of cases, including to employment uh, classification cases, misclassification cases. But here it's being used by the brokers to allege that state negligence claims against them in these highway accident cases uh, are preempted by that F, uh, F4A. All right. So, uh, Matt, let's just throw the question out there. Who's got the stronger argument or are both equally strong as this very well could see a, a straight path to uh, to Washington and the Supreme Court? If the Supreme Court gets this, I think they're going to rule in favor of the brokers on F4A preemption. There's no doubt in my mind. But the reality is this is a tragic situation. Motor carriers often only have, let's say, $750,000 of insurance. Something catastrophic happens. You exhaust that pretty quickly. So the question yeah. is, who else can be on the hook? Who else can be responsible? And so plaintiff's attorneys have been trying for years to say, maybe the broker's responsible. Maybe the shipper's responsible. And the circuits, we allow them to have some experimentation. But when different circuits come up with a different different interpretation of a federal statute, the SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, will take a closer look. We thought that maybe in the C.H. Robinson and Miller case what, out of the Ninth Circuit might have gone to the Supreme Court, but that ultimately the court decided not to do that. After the Seventh Circuit, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more desire for the Supreme Court to weigh in. And at the end of the day, um, how do you make victims whole? And the question is, do you either raise insurance rates or do you let brokers be responsible? Because at the end of the day, someone has to pay. And that's one of the big challenges we see in the industry. 
Brandon, looking at that again, just kind of, you know, as from the C.H. Uh, Robinson Miller case, uh, that decision obviously went in favor of the, uh, the uh, plaintiff could sue a broker in that particular case. What if you have a situation now where you could definitely see that a broker just decided, hey, I'm going to, there, there were multiple red flags here, but I'm going to go ahead and hire this person. There's, there's, is that completely over or rather preempted by F4A, no matter who they pick in terms of, of, of the carrier? Well, a couple of points here. So number one, for now, that decision, that preemptive decision is limited to the circuits that have decided that. So we've got the Seventh Circuit and we've got the Eleventh Circuit. So the Seventh Circuit covers Indiana, Illinois, Wisconsin. Eleventh Circuit covers Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Those are the states in which that is now the law of the land in light of the Seventh Circuit's and the Eleventh Circuit's decision. The Ninth Circuit, as we have already said, ruled otherwise. That's going to cover the West Coast. So we've got that circuit split. So it's not the law of the entire United States. States, it's the law. It's the law of those particular circuits. Sure. Second issue is: <clears throat> is there still going to be a, a way for plaintiffs to get to brokers or for shippers when when they select a, a, a motor carrier that is clearly that clearly shouldn't be out on the road? And I think there still is. The courts, even in the Seventh and Eleventh Circuit, still even o- open that possibility under a different theory of liability. Uh, we saw this come out in in the Seventh Circuit case, in fact, where not only did the plaintiff allege that the broker in that case negligently hired the motor carrier, that's the that's the theory of liability that got uh, ruled preempted, but they also alleged that the that the broker in that case was vicariously liable for the conduct of the driver. That's an entirely separate theory of liability that still has some viability even in light of the preemptive uh, preemption defense. And I don't think we have time to fully go into it, but it's essentially saying that we're not so worried about the, the direct conduct of the broker in those cases. We're more worried about the relationship that that broker had with the motor carrier. Did it exercise so much control over that motor carrier's operations that it should now be held vicariously liable for the actions of that motor carrier's driver? That is still a potential theory of liability that could proceed. Obviously, this is kind of really out there and I'm hypothesizing a little bit, but Matt, uh, as you see it, um, obviously, it's either going to be C.H. Robinson taking this to the Supreme Court or perhaps one of the plaintiffs in the other two circuit courts. Um, once we get there, to and assuming we do get there, uh, looking at the arguments and how it's presented, in other words, is it going to be, does it matter if C.H. Robinson, if a broker uh, is the one carrying the load into the Supreme Court, or if it's a plaintiff that that wants to get two brokers? The reality is whoever gets the, the best appeal out there. So the Miller case is done. The Supreme Court said, we're not interested in this case. We don't see an issue with this. That is okay. no longer able to go to the Supreme Court. This global trans uh, case in Chicago in the Seventh Circuit, that is the one that I think people are going to latch onto. Now we really do have an interesting case with a very, very uh, – you know, profound difference between the Seventh Circuit and the Ninth Circuit. The Eleventh Circuit case with uh, with Landstar that was about you know c- cargo. It wasn't as as interesting as catastrophic injuries. This 
question will go to the Supreme Court. I've talked with attorneys that actually filed amicus briefs in the Miller case, and they are ready to go with this one. Obviously, what they want, what everyone wants is clarity. If you're a broker and you're doing nationwide brokerage, you have to understand what each circuit is doing because your liability changes when you cross a state line. And so I urge every broker to work with their insurance company, work with their uh, counsel to make sure that you are prepared because we cannot assume SCOTUS takes this. Probably they do. Maybe they do. They don't have to. It's up to them. So if you don't know what's going to happen, you better prepare because the Seventh Circuit, that is the law of the land for the Seventh Circuit, all the states that filter in the Seventh Circuit. Same with the Ninth Circuit. So we have to be ready. This is a big issue and compliance on this front is massive. So I think everybody needs to be paying attention to these cases. Brandon, if it is a plaintiff that's that's going to bring in this, this case to the Supreme Court, what do they have to prove in order to make F4A not applicable in this situation that it makes a broker exempt? So I think in order to make a compelling case to the Supreme Court, um, they would have to kind of latch onto what the Ninth Circuit ruled in the Miller case, which is that, you know, we've got we've got the law that says we got F4A, which says um, that states cannot enact or enforce any laws that relate to the routes, rates, or services of a motor carrier or a broker. But then underneath that are several exceptions to that broad preemption. And one of those exceptions is is the so-called safety exception. It says that despite that preemption, states can still enact and enforce laws uh, that are related to the the safety um, of motor vehicles operated within their state. And so that's what the Ninth Circuit latched onto when they held that um, uh, Miller's case was not preempted or, or their claim against C.H. Robinson in that case was not preempted under F4A. They essentially said it was expressly preempted, but then it was saved by that safety exception. That is what fundamentally the Seventh Circuit is disagreeing with the Ninth Circuit on is whether that safety exception comes in and saves a case uh, or saves a claim against a broker despite there being preemption. So I think if there's any chance of getting this to the Supreme Court and then prevailing at the at the Supreme Court, I think the plaintiff would have to latch on to that safety exception and say that that their claims against the brokers fall within that safety exception. Matt, anything to add to that in terms of how you would pl- present the case if, if you were standing in front of the Supreme Court? Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we allow states to set things like speed limits. That's a safety thing. The state can come in and say, we want to make things safer. And F4A seems great. Routes, pricing, service, awesome. But we want to make sure if a driver is driving too fast or driving with, with an e-brake or whatever that might be, uh, if they're being negligent, we can make a, a showing that the broker knew or should have known this was a risky motor carrier. That's what you latch onto. You latch onto the fact that the state has the right and the ability to regulate safety. And negligence claims, the way they work in our industry and way they work in the country generally, is a form of regulation. It's allowing you to go after somebody who had a duty to do a certain thing and they broke the duty, causing damages. So if you're a plaintiff's attorney looking at these cases, that is the thing you latch onto is how can you talk about safety? How is this a safety regulation? Um, if that's not going to play in the Seventh Circuit, uh, they're going to say, yeah, we understand that. We're just not going to buy it. But in the Ninth Circuit, that is what's going to be the law of the land for now. Uh, Brandon, looking at it, uh, you know, obviously Matt's already said that he thinks that the uh, Supreme Court, if they take this, is going to go with the broker on that. How do you feel this is going to play out if it gets to the highest court in the land? Yeah, I agree with Matt. I think the uh, the analysis from the Seventh Circuit is probably the right analysis as compared to the Ninth Circuit's. Uh, it's just probably going to come down to that. Well, number one, it's going to come down to whether the Supreme Court is even going to take it at this point. Sure. Uh, the more and more splits 
we get between the circuits, the more likely it is for them to take up the case. But it's still certainly not guaranteed. But uh, assuming we cross over that and we get the Supreme Court to take a look at it, I think it's going to come down to that safety exception. And I think the Seventh Circuit's got the, got the better analysis on that point. Matt, real quick, uh, with if, if it does go to the earliest, if it is presented to the Supreme Court, what kind of a timeline do you think we're looking at if you're looking at uh, that uh, that uh, global trans case, if it, indeed it is go- is put to the Supreme Court? Yeah, I saw Brandon smile. This is the SCOTUS is anyone's guess. Like this is a black box. How they make decisions, <laughs> why they make decisions, what their timeline is, that is something that is completely mysterious. There are so many pontificators and lawyers who will say, oh, we think they'll do this or they'll do that. But the reality is there are thousands of petitions for certiorari where people are asking, please, Supreme Court, listen to us. And they take a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of those cases. And then the timeline usually is like a year or so. So it's a it's a lot of paper. But if we see them grant certiorari, which is when they, they get the, the someone petitioning, they say, yes, we'll go ahead and listen to it. That will be in news all across the country. And then we'll start having real timelines if they decide to take this case. And there's no doubt in my mind in the Seventh Circuit, maybe they're going to try and do a, a, a hearing on Bonk. So get a bunch more judges involved to see if that holding is still correct. But they might just go quickly to the Supreme Court and say, hey, look, this is three to zero. We, we know what the rule is in Seventh Circuit. It directly conflicts with the Ninth. We need some some true insight from the Supreme Court. And I think they might take it because of that. All right. Well, we'll see how it all hangs out uh, in the next uh, six months, year, year and a half. Who knows how long this will take. But gentlemen, thanks so much for shedding some light on the situation. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. All right. We'll take a short break. Come back and wrap up this edition of Freight Waves now after this. 